Praise the Lord. Um, what did you say at the offering, Barbara? Little is much in God's economy. Yes, it is. And that was really prophetic with the message that the Lord gave me for this morning. And the title of today's word is, It's the Little Things That Matter. Sometimes we say, it's the little things that count. Um, Sometimes we're always focused on giant things. Uh, If a girl's getting engaged, sometimes she thinks that the biggest diamond is the best. But one of my most precious little things that I have in my jewelry box because I wore it for so many years and the band just finally disintegrated. And I just didn't want to redo it. I wanted to leave it worn so I can look at it because it represents so much of our lives. It was Lonnie's gift to me. Um, Actually, it was my engagement ring. I don't know how small this diamond is, but I do know it was right around Christmas time when his parents were trying to break us up and we were madly in love. He was 16 and a half and I was 17. <laughs> okay. No, it didn't work. They took his car away from him. They took the keys. His dad was going to take him to San Francisco and make him live with him. They were divorced because he had the full custody. But that night, Lonnie had lied to me, you see. He told me he was 18. And I was going with a baby boy that was 16 and a half. But we were absolutely madly in love. And we were... Nothing, we sing about the love of God, nothing can separate us. And, you know, we had had a download of the love of God in our hearts for one another. And as you can see, we've been through a lot, nothing's been perfect, but it was there. And we knew that nothing was going to separate us. We didn't want to run away. I had a job. I mean, we had life. We both worked. That night, I was more upset that he'd li- I'd found out that he was eight, uh, not 18. Uh, I was more upset with him lying about his age to me. But we'd only known each other for a few weeks. And that's how fast we were in love. It was almost instantaneous. I mean, that was it. We knew we were a match. In the olden times, that wouldn't have been a big thing. That's when they they got married young, because they didn't live very long. But that night, when he said, please, please meet me, meet me at the mall, I don't have my car, come and pick me up. So I drove over, he got in the car, he told me how sorry he was for lying to me and telling me he was 18, because see, I wouldn't have dated anybody that wasn't, that was Kind of my little crazy Kathy rule. 
And in his pocket, he says, I bought you this. You've just got to give me time. And, you know, we're doing all the little fighting. It wasn't like a fight. It was just tears. It was an emotional moment. And what his parents were going to try and ship him off to San Francisco. And he pulls out of his pocket. He says, this is for you. I'm asking you to marry me. 16 and a half and 17. He had taken his tape player. This is big. This is a four-track tape player. This tells you how old he really is now. He had taken it out of his car that they had the keys to, and he took it to the pawn shop, and he hawked it. I mean, he'd spent a lot of money on this thing. And he hawked it, and he got enough money to make a down payment at Zales Jewelers. It's been around as long as we've been around. Zales Jewelers. He spent $99 on that diamond engagement ring in gold, platinum. But the little tiny diamond might have been 15 points in size. And I wore that. We did get married, and I wore that until it had just worn out. And then he replaced it with a bigger one. And nothing to say I don't like one carrot or whatever this thing is. But I'm just saying, it's that little thing that I can tell you a story about. I can tell you what that represents in the economy of love. Sometimes, most of the time, it's the little things that matter most. And we tend to overlook them. And we tend to belittle them. Come on. It's the little things that matter. My reading today, if you want to turn to your Bible or uh, however your, your electronic device, is from Luke book of Luke, the Apostle Luke told us the story of Jesus' birth. I'm in chapter 2, and I'm starting at verse 12. And this shall be the sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, some of us don't know what swaddling clothes but this is what the prophet had spoken, and, and this was a prophetic word that had come from way back when. And this is what Luke is telling us about the, the story of the birth of Jesus and swaddling clothes. Well, to us, we don't even know what that means. And truly, even uh, there's all sorts of things about swaddling clothes, from grave clothes to pieces of cloth. I don't think there's a definitive answer but I, this is the one that I've chosen, and having been to Israel and sat in one of the shepherd's caves that very well, you know, was a, a similar type of cave uh, that would have been a place they would have kept animals at night. 
and seen a manger. You know, we, we have wooden mangers and we have crushes, but that isn't what they were there. There wasn't much wood in Bethlehem or that region. It's very rocky and deserty. The mangers that we have, we've made them out of wood, but it wasn't wood. It was carved stone. It was about this high. And they would carve and, and, and get the stone, and that's where they would put the feed. It was a stone manger. And so some of the shepherds that would have their flocks of sheep there, this is a tradition. We don't know for sure, but this is the one I like best. When their little baby lambs were born, they were always looking for a lamb without spot or blemish, okay, for offerings. You had to give a perfect lamb. It couldn't have any spots or blemishes or anything wrong with it. And when they would come along, when one would be born, they would take that lamb and they would wrap it in these cloths. And they would lay it in the manger as the other ones were coming, as they were having birthing sessions when the lambs were falling, or the sheep were falling, their, their lambs. And they would wrap it so no damage would come to it. Nothing would cut it. It wouldn't run away. And they set them apart. And so some scholars believe this was a sign to the shepherds and the people that understood what was done in that day that this was a lamb that was born without spot or blemish wrapped in this cloth. They swallowed it and took care of it. So if that's what it meant, that's to me I like that definition, but there are so many. You can you can Google that yourself and listen to all those stories. But I liked that one. It was one I could wrap my heart around. It was a sign. And this shall be the sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, had just been born. So a side story that I want to talk about is, uh, just to make you think, is I majored in art, some art classes when I finally got around to getting to some college. And one of my favorite uh, artists, old artists, was Michelangelo. And some of the great works that he has done that are still in the world for us to see, they're alive today. But someone asked Michelangelo, much of his art, many things, than the greatest ones that he has. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Much of it is about trifle, very ordinary subject matter. And so someone asked Michelangelo, why, why is most of your talent spent on painting um, trifle things? And this is his reply. He said, trifles make perfection. This is a quote. And perfection is no trifle. So for those, I'm not talking about a truffle of chocolate. 
I'm talking about a trifle, and the definition of that is a thing of little importance. That's the definition. He was painting things of little importance. They didn't seem important. They were little. So we could read what his answer, meaning with that definition that Michelangelo said, a thing of little importance makes perfection. And perfection is not a thing of little importance. It's the little things. It's the little things that matter. God used a series of incidents, little things, little tasks, little people, and little places in telling us Christ is coming to the earth. There's nothing in Luke's account that sounds grandiose there was no trumpeters who would be in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So my first point today is God uses little people. At the time, there were great rulers in Palestine. Rome had taken over the place. They had a wicked king <laughs> of his birth. You know, Israel had a wicked king. He, he wasn't doing too well. But there were other powerful leaders. There were other powerful people. But God did not pick any of them to be the father to Jesus, the earthly father, the stepson. It was Joseph, a carpenter. It was a little title, wasn't it? He was a little person. He was just young Joseph, the carpenter in town. He'll come over and help you fix stuff. He'll fix your cart. He knows how to break, fix that. And who did he pick for the mother? It was a young girl. He didn't pick a queen. He didn't pick Herod's, one of Herod's wives. He didn't pick anybody that seemed it was great importance. It was just a, probably a 13 or 14-year-old girl because that's the way they did it. So Joseph was Jesus' adoptive father, a lowly, a little carpenter. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Has he not? He's picked me. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty, which are big. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Yes, things which are not, to bring not to things that are So one of the encouraging thoughts for myself is that God uses little people to do big things. That means as little as I think I am, as nothing as I think I am, a lot, when he's always correcting me, as I'm always saying how, right? 
often. How I'm not important, how I'm, you know, nothing. I'm always messing up. How I can't get it right. How I can't be what he wants me to be. Yet, God gives me hope and encouragement. I'm just saying, if you have any of that in your life or thinking about you, that God can't use you till you achieve greatness, you understand? God can use anybody, and that means he could use me too. He could use you. He could use me. You might be homeless. He can use you. There's times I was homeless in my life. He used he can use me. My my history might be flawed, but he can use me and change me. And the Bible gives us many examples. And when I was thinking about the examples last night, uh, because this is a word. I had to come to church today. I went to gathering. I had to go home. I had to do laundry. I had to catch up. I had to make a list. I had to do this. I had to do that. I didn't get to go home and just think about what a great time I had. I had to have a word today on top of what seemed like everything else that I can't quite be enough to handle. It was like when he was laying this in my heart, said, tell me the other little things. I need to hear this. I, I've got to understand that this is how you work. This is what you do. I don't have to be anything but little, and you can still use me. I want you to know he can use you. Look what he did. The giant Goliath that was out there in the field for weeks and months in the army was terrified of the giant Goliath. If you aren't familiar to the Bible and you don't know the story, they were shaking in their boots and this giant guy was taunting them every morning. He was a giant from the Philistine army. Nobody would take him up. But guess who did? Little David, about 12 years old. Little David did. God used little David. And he brought him out of a field, a little field. And he took him over there and he took down, he did something big. He took down the giant. Have you got giants in your life? He can use you. What about the army of the Midianites and Gideon? I know it's one of Sean Wilder's favorite stories. One of mine, too. Because when you get the army cut down and cut down and there's ten of you left, whoa. you gotta, you got to walk. you got to stand. you got to believe. Just when you need people and you're asking God to send you people and to help you for the, the birthing, you see, Jesus is birthed all the time. Did you know that? There's a birth every day. There's, there's birthing of Jesus going on right now in people's hearts. It isn't just the one day of a year. There's a supernatural birthing of Jesus. There's birthing of the visions that he's given people. There's birthing of kingdoms. There's, 
There's birthing over here. This is a birthing moment. We're in the middle of a birthing moment with this CCC building. This is, this is about Jesus being birthed in our community. Can you wrap yourself? If you can't wrap yourself around anything else and you want to think this is man's vision, this isn't man's vision. This is God's vision. And it's just like when Moses was given the vision to take the people out of their bondage and take them to a promised land and do something, you know, it weren't easy for him, was it? He had a lot of people complaining. Come on. Blaming him. When there's transition and birthing, women, how many of you in this congregation have given birth to a child that understands the physical aspect of that? And when we get to transition, it's a moment, they call. You start with labor. You start birthing something. You've got some pains, especially with your first child. You think, well, all those horror stories, I don't know what they were talking about. It's really, I mean, you know, yeah, but it's not that bad. But then you come to a time during the birthing of the labor. I'm talking about natural things so you can appropriate it to a spiritual birthing. You come to a place where there's transition. And ladies, that's when we're down to it. That's when you're saying, oh, my. Oh, my. I don't think I can do this. i got to have help. This, this isn't working. Uh, this, is, this is impossible. I, I, I have no more strength to do this. You guys, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but you all can relate because you've done it. The rest of you can sort of relate because I'm trying to explain to you, but it's transition. We're in a transition moment of the birthing of Jesus in our community. Who's he using? Probably one of the littlest assemblies in the Upper Valley. Come on. There's no kings, queens. <laughs> Do you understand in the natural realm here, he's using little places like here. He's losing little places like the village some of us live in and serve in little things that he intends to turn into big things. What did you say? Every little thing matters. They're important. How about the little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus and fed the 5,000? Come on! He had a a little bit of fish and some bread. And he was little. He was little out of 5,000. I don't know what was there, but, I, you know, it was a little boy, and he used him, and he fed the 5,000. I mean, there's so many stories. God can use you, too. Do you know him? If you're sitting here today and you have not opened the door, as, as Deb said to the children, God has a special way. He speaks, he lives, he influences. And then there comes that time of accountability and an age of accountability. And that child has to make a choice about what he does with that relationship with God. If you're here today and within, or you're within the sound of my voice, 
if you're listening to this today and you haven't received Jesus because you think you're too little to matter, what about just doing it today? What about just doing it right now? He loves the little things. What did he call the children when they were trying to keep the babies and the smelly kids away from him? He said, let the little children come to me. Come on. Don't cause stuff or not meant they were harassing them. Don't hassle them anymore. Let them come to me. Let them sit on my lap. I don't care. God can use you. Open the door. Open the door. Quit opening it and shutting it and opening it and shutting it. Just open it for good. Say, use me. Use me. God uses little places, number two. Bethlehem was a place where Jesus was born. Going to getting the privilege and the honor of getting to go to the Holy Land. You know, it's the same geography that was there. The map hasn't changed. It's a little town. It's it's a little village. It it was known as the Gentile, a Gentile community. You know, the Galileans of the Gentiles. It was within the Galilee region. And that is where. It wasn't the big Jerusalem city. It wasn't somewhere else. It was Bethlehem. It was the little, oh, little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. See, it was kind of quiet there. A lot of people. There's a lot of stuff happening. We sing that song, but I want you to understand it was a little place. And God orchestrated and ordained for the Son of God to be born there. It wasn't in the fanciest hospital. You know? It was there. In a manger. It was there. where he first appeared. God uses little places to do his great work. I thank God for that. Because if he didn't, I don't know how much any of us would be doing here. Thank you, Father. So little David was in the field. Gideon was behind the wine press when God found him hiding. (laughs) What about the Pilgrim's Progress? I was—I heard a few weeks ago that the, I didn't know that the Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you know that great classic book? I—I I don't know why I did not know this. You know, you're never too old to learn. It was written in a small prison cell. A small prison cell. One of the greatest works. One of them, written in a small prison cell. 
And some of the letters that we have and the epistles that we have were written in prison when Paul was in prison. But that was another one. Yes, I heard that story. It was so amazing to me. And I'm like, how did I not know that? Help me, God. Thank you for sharing that extra information. So God uses even a prison, a cell, whatever, for his works. You just never know. They're doing it for one reason, and God's doing it for an entirely different one, a greater thing. So as small as something looks, if, 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 if something you're doing, like what if you're in the children's ministry, or I don't know what you're doing, or if you're not doing something, get to doing something, because God brings us in the family. We all carry the weight. We're supposed to be serving. He, he wants us busy with his vision. Nothing is too small. Look what our little food shelf is doing big things, big things. Let him work through you. He knows you. He knows your name. Number three, God uses little things. So he uses little people, he uses little places, and he uses little things. So we all know, I just told you, the manger was not a crib or a baby bed, right? It's not a little wooden crèche. It was a feed trough. And I don't know, as a kid, we didn't have toys. I played with calves or cows. That was, that's who I played with. I didn't have friends at animals. And I would go and kiss those baby calves, no matter how much they were slobbering or snorting out of their little noses. And I would just lay by them when they were little and just see their little nose hairs. And they were just so sweet. And there's nothing, I think, well, I mean, at the time, they could look at me with their little baby calf eyes. Their eyes are so big compared to their little bodies. And they would just look at me, and I would love them, and I would cuddle them. I didn't have a baby doll. I didn't have any stuffed animals. This is what I did. I would walk out to our lean-to shack that was the barn. And I would lay by those calves, and I'd talk to them and tell them my stories. Well, they did. But <laughs> that's another story. It was a feed trough. I watched them eat where we would put their food. It was a little lowly thing, a piece of stone. Swaddling clothes were nothing but, you know, little pieces of cloth that they would wrap around a baby. We don't know where she got them, if she brought them. That, those details aren't, but, I mean, she was pregnant. You know, it would have been wise to take something with you in case something happened, but they were young. I don't know. This is where the Savior was born. The King of Kings. The 
the Lord of Lords. Guys, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God stooped to the lowliness of a manger so that we could have untold riches that we are blessed with today. Amen? Jesus used the illustration of little things. One of the things that he brought to my mind was Jesus used the story about the sparrows. He's telling you not to worry. He's saying, don't you know that I know when one sparrow drops, when one's gone, how much more does he know who you are? Just a little sparrow. Some kids shoot BBs at him. You know, but God knows. He knows everything. And Jesus uses that. So he, so you are so much more important if that's on his heart. What about, what about when Elijah was running from Jezebel and he went to the cave and he was shaking in his boots? God didn't come in with a boisterous voice. He didn't have fire and lightning coming or thunder and all this in high winds of 90 or 120 miles an hour when he went to the cave door. The way he spoke to Elijah in one of his most terrifying moments of his life, body, soul, and spirit, at that moment of great darkness, what did God use? The Word of God tells us, a little, a little small voice. Some of you have heard that voice. Some of you got to a place where you were in a moment like Elijah was, where there was nothing left to cry, nothing left to process, nothing left to say, nothing left to do. Right? Some of you are shaking your head, yes. And then suddenly you got so quiet because there was just nothing left, and then you heard it. A little, small voice. I don't know if you heard it. And it changed things in this moment. How about how about this? We went to the church. There's a church built in Israel um, designated as the possible spot where Peter was after Jesus was taken near during Passover and and you know he had pledged to love Jesus forever and I'll die for you and everything, but then they fled. You know, they fled. They're human. <laughs> Human, And he was feeling so little. And Jesus told him, he said, you know, Peter, I, I, I get that you're saying all these good things, and I know that you're earnest in what you're saying to me, but before the cock, before the, the, the cock, the rooster crows three times, uh, crows, you're going to, den- uh, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And we went to that church, and there's kind of like a little stand, and it's supposed to represent... This is the place that that happens. The point is, whether it is or whether it isn't, 
What did God use to convict Peter of his sin? A little rooster. It's the little things. It's the little rooster. And the crazy little rooster crows three times. And Peter remembers Jesus' words, and then he breaks. He quit thinking about the excuses he was giving himself at that moment and running and all the guilt and all the shame and trying to excuse it and figure it out. And at that moment, that rooster, that little rooster crowed and he broke and he began to repent. And he, at that moment, began to become a little nobody. An absolute nobody. Somebody that was on the run. They hung out with Jesus. And it was at that moment of repentance, after that little rooster crowed, that he began to repent. And he began that moment to become one of the great men of God one of the apostolic fathers of the church. Is that amazing? It's the little things. We're in the season of little things. Maybe your offering was a little thing, but it's great and it makes a lot when it's all put together. Maybe you haven't had much time to to give in the in the vision that's being birthed over here, laboring with that. But whatever it is, if it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, if it's an hour, if it's a day, whatever it is, it's everything in the big picture. It's bringing nothing to something. Can you see it? Can you hear it? It's how God works. It's how he loves. It was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was thinking about this. Everybody was, you know, he brought some of the disciples. It was before he went to the cross. And it says, and they went and they laid down. But it says, Jesus went what? A little, just a little bit further. That came to my mind. I was like, oh, God, I'm telling you, I've gone as far as I can go. I've got nothing left. There's, there's nothing else. I, I don't know what else to pull on. I, I don't know anything more than this. But he bade me. And he said, Kathy, can you just come a little further? Can you just take a few more steps? I'll be there. I'll be there because I have another breakthrough for you. It's a spiritual breakthrough. Just take a few more steps. Because I'm going to do something big. It's just a few more steps to the ultimate death of self and human weakness. In frailty. 
just take a few more steps. I want to. And he'll help me. And you, my family, will help me. We all sang, I surrender all today. (laughs) Surrender just those few more steps. Don't take off and run. If you start to run, I pray for a a rooster to be in your path. Now's not the time to scatter. Now's not the time to think about plans of moving away from... Do you understand what I'm saying? Now's not the time. Now's the time to stand and see it finished. Now's the time. Now is the time. This isn't man's idea. This is God's. None of this man here in this room has all the answers. God uses little things to do his will. And he can use little you and little me to get the job done. We only have to surrender to him. And that's in Romans 12. And it came to pass in Luke 2:15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. This is where the shepherds were. The shepherds said to one another, "Let us now go even into Bethlehem and then see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us." As we close, as we come to the final point, I want to tell you, God uses little tasks, little jobs, little things that he assigns to us. Jesus could have preached a Sermon on the Mount every day of his life if he wanted to. We went to the, we went to the Mount in Israel it was really a nice view. That would have been fun. It was gorgeous on a sunny day. Beautiful view. Encouraging spot. But he didn't choose that. Instead, he chose little tasks to reach others. He had his moment. And then he went in. This is the direction. Little tasks give them with a message of eternal life, of life everlasting, of life abundantly. He asked the woman at the well for a drink of water, didn't he? Sent the others on to go get some food. By the well, here comes the woman. He says, hey, did you bring me? Did you bring me something to drink? And he uses that opportunity that one little cup of water. And then he told her that he was the living water. And he began to speak to her. And she heard. She ran back and told everybody else. What about the little task that David, as a young harp, as, as a shepherd, and he would play the... Saul was tormented by demonic spirits. He was in fear and terror all the time. 
He had such anxiety, anxiety and stress. And David came with his little harp. We're almost done here. Hang on with me for just maybe two more minutes. And David brought his harp. And the Bible stories tell us that when he would play the harp, those spirits would leave. And Saul would have some peace. It was just a little task. Some of you come over, some of you gals come over, and my, my shoulders are hard as rocks, and you come and give me a little back rub, just a little task. Some of you bring me, if, if you know I haven't had any food and I've been working for an extended period of time, no, no time for that, you bring me something, and somebody brings me an Egg McMuffin, and I get some more energy to continue on. Little tasks. Somebody said, if you just give somebody a cup of water, cup of water. God uses all these kind of things to work in local churches, in our church. You could be part of the worship team. You could be part of the dance team. You could be helping. We've got to have a youth outreach. You could be doing Bible studies. You could be working in the food outreach. I mean, there's so many things we can do. And multiple things. Just Loving on people. Cleaning the church. You might think it's nothing. Oh, I'm always on the list. It's everything. It's important. It's absolutely important. It's a little thing, but it's to the big thing. Lay hold of that this morning, would you? Lay hold of that with me. That way when I'm doing something mundane, I don't want to think of it as nothing and irritating that I have to do it again. You hear me? I want to have the understanding that it's important, so do it again so we can get to the big part so I'm not having negative thoughts about it in my mind and trying to scream at my body and say, you can't do this. Just go, yes, I can. I can take a few steps forward. It was a little bush. I saw the hyssop plants in Israel. They were just like like not anything. That was what God told Moses and the Israelites to go get a stick, a piece of it, and dip it in the blood to put over the doorposts. You guys have seen that movie, The Ten Commandments. You know, they put the blood on everything. It was a little plant. Just a little piece of hyssop. And the firstborn were saved. I mean, there are so many. These are just, I'm giving you a few examples. I wrote a bunch more down, but I'm not going to tell you all. Jesus said that even giving a cup of water in his name would bring a reward which would last forever. So the shepherd's little task of leaving the flock to go and see the Christ child, Jesus, has been told for thousands of years. Little things, yes. Little things. And this story from Luke, this Christmas story, as we would call it today, is the way God chose to send his son into the world. You carry that story with you. You tell him how 
it's not some little story. It's a it's a little story that's a big story. It's good news. We sing that song at Christmas. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. And that's the message we carry from here. He's been born 2,000 years ago and more. He's been born in your hearts. He's birthing it in many ministries and things that he's doing all over the face of the earth. And you are part of that. Amen? Are you excited? So can God use you too? Can you trust him? Come on. Can you? I want to hear a yes. Can he use you? Are you in? Are you in? Are you here every day, seven days a week, even when you just blah, 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 and you just go, I'm going to take a few steps further. I'm going to, come on. Are you a part of God's family? If you're not, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Why won't you just trust him today? Come on. Father, we thank you that you have confounded the wise with little things with the absolute impossible, because you're right in the middle of it. And we just give you all the glory today. Father, for anyone that has not made the decision, I'm praying for you. If you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's different. I'm talking about uh, somehow the Holy Spirit's telling me to elaborate on this. It's not just, I believe in God. Bow your heads. If anybody is just in this room and you haven't made that and said, Jesus, I need you. My life isn't the way I want it right now. It's an earnest thing that comes from the heart. The Word of God says, if you believe on me and you invite him in, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You don't have to fear anything at that point. It's that reckless love we sang about earlier. If that's you, raise your hand. I pray for you to invite Jesus in as your Savior. It just sounds like a little thing, but it is the biggest thing you will ever do in your life. Feel this word expanded in us, Lord. Speak everything that I missed in talking to you. God, whatever, just expand it and keep speaking to us about it. We surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.